we're going to launch into a preaching series for the next uh, six, six or eight weeks on types of Christ. How many people, just to show of hands, how many people have heard of the phrase types of Christ? Can you see? Awesome. That's why we want to do it. The type, a type of Christ is when we see Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. That's what it is. And it is imperative to me that we preach on this topic because it saddens me when someone um, has a limited view of Jesus Christ as to a character in the 66 books, he's the main character for four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And before that, Jesus didn't exist. And after that, Jesus retired in heaven. No, 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 he's, he's everything. If you get one revelation, I beg you, it is this. Have a high Christology. See Christ as absolutely supreme. He is everything. And from everything, the Bible says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning. It says the Word is a He. It's talking about Jesus Christ. He was in the beginning with God. All things are created through him. Without him, not anything was made that was made. In him was light, and the light was the life of man. And when the light shines in the darkness, the darkness cannot overcome it. It's John chapter 1, 1 to 5, down in verse 14 of the same chapter. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Speaking about Jesus Christ being incarnate. You, you have to see that Jesus is eternal. Okay? You have to. Otherwise, your relationship with him, he can slip into a moral teacher, which every other religion is trying to call him. Even atheists are trying to say, no, Jesus is real. He's a great guy. His teaching is flawless. It's perfect. He's so much more than that church. He is the Savior. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. All things consist in him and through him and to him, Romans eleven thirty three. 33. He is everything. Colossians 2, Christ is all. And so I need us. I need us. I need us. It's called high Christology. I need us to have a high Christology. And that's when you start to look at the Old Testament. We're going to do it for eight weeks. And you're going to start to see people in the Old Testament that I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying it's a, a, a lesser truth. If someone were to preach that you were this person in the Old Testament and there is a lesson for you to learn on how to live a life, it's not an incorrect message. It's just a lesser truth. Jesus Christ is that. We're going to look at how Jesus is uh, tonight, Adam. We're going to look at how Jesus is Joseph. We're going to look at how Jesus is David. We're going to look at how Jesus is Moses. We're going to look at how Jesus is Esther. We're going to look at how Jesus is all through the flipping Old Testament. And I want to blow your mind so that when you read the Bible after this, you're like, oh my God, he's everywhere. And we'll go, yes, he is everywhere. That's why we worship him. Amen. So if you got your Bible, head on over to Romans chapter five. I want to speak about Adam, a type of Christ. Romans chapter five. A lot of theologians will call Romans the book of the, the Bible. It is the pinnacle of scripture. It is kind of Paul's masterpiece. And, uh, and uh, Martin, Martin Lloyd-Jones, the, the intern through Kelly last year, bought me his entire commentary on Romans, which I flip and love. And Romans chapter 5, what we're looking at right now, verse 12 to 21, he says is the pinnacle of, of the gospel message where Paul brings it all about. It's the heartbeat of Romans in right now. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone has sinned it's not a good place to start the message <laughs> yes people sinned even before the law was given but it was not counted as sin because there was not yet a law to break another message for another time 
Still, everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even though those who disobeyed didn't, um, did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. Now, Adam is a symbol. Can you say that? Adam is a symbol. That'll blow you away. He's not a character. He's a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. There is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. How good is this passage? Amen. Are you with me? Verse 16. The result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our, our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. That's important. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation to everyone, but Christ's one act brings righteousness, of righteousness brings a right relationship with God, a new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead. Thank you, Jesus. Giving us right standing with God, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray. Well, God, we love you. and Help us love you more. We love you, Lord. You're amazing. You're incredible. But we know that our heart is so prone to, to wander and fall in love with things in this world that it shouldn't. And so we just pray tonight, God, you'd help us see you clearer and bigger and more wonderful than we've ever seen you before. Help us fall more in love with you than we've ever loved you before and help us grow in that love. In your name we pray. Amen. I was a very... Lucky to grow up with uh, Nathan White. Some of you guys will know Nathan, of course. He, I met him when I was two years old. He and his parents moved up here from Sydney, Steve and Debbie White. And uh, literally, you know, his dad, Steve, started working with my dad. And when I was two, I met Nathan. My earliest memory in my life is meeting Nathan, running up his driveway at the age of two. It was like a couple months before I turned three. I still have this clear picture in my head. We grew up together. He was in our church for a number of years before his family, his, his parents were the pastors. They planted C3 Kingscliff about 20 minutes south uh, out of our church. And so, you know, he was in a different church, but we were still best mates and just grew up together. We got into surfing at the exact, the exact same time. We got serious about our relationship with God at the exact same camp when we were 13 and growing up, growing up, growing up. Growing up, uh, at the you know, I was his best man. He was my best man. We uh, still our families holiday together. It, it's awesome, but it was so funny that uh, uh, being best mates when we were about eight, we were so different yet good mates. I, I was fat, 
pasty skinned and round and the, you trust me and Nate was this skinny scrawny little kid who was always shorter than me he's like a year and a half older but he was always shorter and, and we were so different but as our friendship became more and more uh you know closer and closer as we got into surfing and everything like that it, it hit a point where we were like same height we were both into surfing. We both had sun bleached blonde hair. We both like just, you know, into God at the same time, running youth ministry at a similar time. Like we became so similar that when I went to Sydney, I did two years of Bible college there and got into youth. I was in youth leading, working at the church, running all the high school things. And uh, when I left, at the, literally the, the week I moved back, Nathan moved down to do Bible college. And he just slotted right in. And he started going to youth ministry. And everyone there, like 500 kids in their youth, are like, are you Dan Gorry? <laughs> and if you want to annoy someone, just go up to them and be like, are you your best friend? And so everyone is hounding him like, are you Dan Gorry? Are you Dan Gorry? It got to the point where he made a T-shirt and went to youth. And the T-shirt said, I am not Dan Gorry. Completely similar, so many similarities, yet, if you know Nathan and I, completely different in so many ways. Tonight, what I want to do is I, I want to show you Adam and, and Jesus. I want to look at some things with Adam and Jesus where you will see so many similarities, but the outcome couldn't be more different. And show us how Adam is a type of Christ. I want to help you in you engaging with your scripture when you're reading at home. I, I, my prayer is that if you read the Old Testament, put it this way. Karl Barth is one of the greatest theologians of the last 200 years. He said, Jesus Christ is on every single page of the Bible. I want to expand your thinking about the supremacy of Christ. That is literally my goal. And I hope that you fall more in love with him and see him as bigger than ever before. Jesus is on every page. Let's look at this first thing, creation. Let's look at the, the creation of both of them, how they were both made. Both did not have human mum and dad. Both were miraculously born, both by God at a God-appointed time through only a means of God. Adam, as we know, it was formed of the dust of the earth, pushed the dust, 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 dust together, dust together, the dust together, and the breath of God went in and behold, he was alive. Like that is an absolute miracle. Amen. And then look at the birth of Jesus Christ, Virgin Mary, and uh, that is crucial to the Christendom faith. That is what we would call uh, Orthodox Christian faith. And, and absolutely, 100% Mary was a virgin when she fell pregnant with Jesus, did not have an earthly biological father. The, the, how they came into the world was so similar. And, and then look at their relationship with God. Stunning. You'll read about it in, in Genesis 3.8, just after the fall, it reveals a side of God that we can believe was happening more often. It said, and he came to them in the cool of the day and would walk with Adam. Can you get your head around that? Like right now, we, we're struggling. We're entering a post-Christian nation because, if anything, I think the intimacy and presence of God is not happening enough. Instead, the moral compass of God has been imparted by our nation instead of the very presence of God. That's just my opinion. When you bring the rules of God, you don't get God. When you bring God himself, you get a relationship with God. And what we see right now, in this day and age where it is tougher to experience his presence, just read this verse again. God would come to Adam and walk with him in the cool of the day. What a moment. Well, that's, God, that's creation. That's the purpose. That's the reason. That's the heartbeat. We see that with Jesus, how close he walked. 
He says, I only do what I see the Father doing. I feel him. He, he speaks to me, leads me, guides me. All these things, he's like, I've got to get away. And they're like, no, come heal more people. He's like, no, no, I know why, I was, I know why I'm here. You go away and you just be with God. 30 years, we, we read about him, very little. The first 30 years of his life, spending time with God. Picture that relationship. They both had with the Father in heaven. And that's, that's the thing we need to, to see here is that's what we have in Christ. In Christ, you have an intimate relationship and a purpose for your life. Both had a divine purpose on their world, a God-appointed creation at a God-appointed time by a Father in heaven. You have closeness, relationship with God and a purpose on your life the moment you're a new creation in Christ. The second thing we look at is the temptation. Creation, then temptation. It's wild, like comparing the two temptations. How's this? Adam's main temptation was to say yes to a tree God had told him to say no to. Jesus' main temptation was to say no to a tree God had destined him to say yes to. Can you see the comparison? Can you see this working hand in hand? This tree in the garden is a picture of the cross that was to come. And the moment, the last 24 hours Jesus is alive, he's like, I don't want it. This tree that you've, you want me to do, you want me to be on the tree, I don't want it. If there's any other way, make it possible. But no, this is where he overcame temptation. Not my will, but yours be done. Isn't that fascinating to you? No, you're not as fascinating as me. That is incredible to me. Adam's main temptation was, hey, you, you need to say no to this tree. I've told you to say no, and he wanted to say yes. Jesus is sitting there, he's like, I've told you, God said, I've told you to say yes to this tree, and he wanted to say no. The temptation was the same. When, when Satan led Jesus into the wilderness, we even see comparisons there. Both times, when they're in the wilderness and when in the Garden of Eden, what happens is, did, did God actually say that? Do you remember when he came to Adam and he said, oh, you will have to eat of this tree? And he said, no, to Eve. no, no, if we eat of it, we'll, we'll surely die. And, uh, and he said, we can't even touch it. And then... Satan responds, did God really say that? Jesus in the wilderness after being filled with the Holy Spirit in a time of temptation, he comes and he says, you know how you've just, like literally three verses earlier, you've heard a voice from heaven, Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, it says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. It's first temptation. Hey, if you are the son of God, is that really true? Well, if you are the son of God, you should be able to do this. So the second thing we need to see of this comparison is when it comes to temptation, Satan will always tempt your identity and your revelation. Satan, Satan hates you. Do we get that? Do we get that? Satan hates you. He wants to constantly grind your gears. Not in here. This, this is the presence of God. I'm surrounded by people of God. At home by yourself, he's, he's pressing pressuring you. He's pressing you. He, he wants you to question that you've been saved. He wants you to question that you've been born again. He wants you to question that you're a child of God. He wants you to question that your sins were actually forgiven, that God actually doesn't hold a grudge against you anymore. Satan wants to pressure you in that way. And your temptation, just like theirs, will be to give up your identity and your revelation. And until we see that Jesus conquered this, this temptation, then we'll think it's in our strength we have to do it. But when we see that Jesus overcame this temptation, we get to rest in his finished work. I'm not trying to beat you in my own strength, Satan. I have God. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, his spirit now lives in me, and I can beat you. 
Not in my own strength, but with his spirit? Absolutely. We see that temptation come. You guys are quiet, so I'll wrap up. Creation, temptation, third thing, because I like Asian and, you know, whatever rhyming words, imputation. What was imputed to us by both of them? Romans chapter 5, verse 12 clearly said, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, and so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Do you get that? That's uh, it's something we have to see is that we're born into sin. This moment, for anyone who enjoys theology and pushing a bit deeper, this is the moment in Romans where Paul switches from speaking about sins to sin. Before Romans chapter 5, verse 12, he speaks about sins. From this moment on, he's only addressing sin. Because what he's trying to say with Adam is that sins, the actions, the, the manifestations weren't imputed to you, but sin as a personification, as a real living thing, was imputed to you. That is what is ruling your life until Jesus Christ makes you alive. That is what in Genesis 4, when God came to Cain, he was about to kill Abel, he looked at Cain and here's these words, hey, hey, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you which is pretty hectic because it's only just after Adam fell. Sin entered the world as, a, as a, this thing, sin. So it's not speaking about sins. You're not born into sins. You, you, we say, how could a baby be a sinner? He hasn't done anything wrong. No, it's not about sins. He's got sin. And it is only the redemptive work of Jesus Christ through faith and the finished work of the cross that sin is conquered. That's what Romans 6 is all about, the next chapter. That is what was imputed through Adam. Look, but look at Christ. Chapter uh, Galatians, chapter 3, verse 13. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. And it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. He took the curse to the cross. He took the weight of sin and our wrongdoing to the cross. He became a curse so that curse could be broken off us. And now we pick up at the end of Romans 5. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation to everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God, a new life for everyone. Because of one person's disobedience, God, uh, one person disobeyed God, many became sinners, but because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. Amen? This is the supremacy of Christ. This is why he's worthy of praying to. This is why he's worthy of singing to, saying, Jesus, the name above all names, because he did what Adam could not. Adam represents, his name literally means man. I'm trying to blow you away how good God is and how good the Bible is. It's the biggest message to us that man cannot fulfill the law. Man cannot obey God completely in his own strength. Only Christ can. And when you just come under Christ, you don't have to fulfill the law perfectly. He puts that law on your heart and he's fulfilled it for you. It's not wiped away. It's not done away with. It's fulfilled and then imputed to you. That is what is meant by the word righteousness. Now he looks at you and he's like, no, you've done it. You've done everything you needed to earn your way to me. You've done everything needed to work your way to me. Now you're mine. That's why we get relationship. The moment we put our faith in what Jesus did on the cross, we get relationship. We get to call God dad. 
Because Jesus obeyed God. And creation, you have a new creation in Christ. You're a new creation in Christ. The temptations will come, but Jesus conquered them for you. So don't do it in your own strength. Do it in his. And there is an imputation for every single person in the world. Everyone without Christ, sin is imputed to them. But Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, Paul says, Having a righteousness not of my own, but that which is imputed to me through faith in Christ Jesus. The moment of faith in Jesus, his perfect act, his perfect life is pressed on you. And God looks at you and he says, perfect, flawless, son, you're amazing. You don't need to do anything else to work your way to me. You're mine. Thank you, Jesus.